Greetings, dear listener, and welcome to Natural 20-somethings, an audio program detailing and discussing the danger, depth, difficulties, diversions, dice, decadence, and drama of D&D. We're ever so pleased you're here. everyone. Welcome to Natural 20-somethings. I am Laurel. And I'm Olivia. Uh, This week we are going to be talking power fantasies, which is a pretty nebulous topic on the internet, and I don't know why that surprised me. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to borrow this from the Dungeon Master's Guide to give us like a singular leg to stand on. Uh, Here we go. What's the right way to run a campaign? That depends on your playstyle and the motivations of your players. Consider your players' tastes, your strengths as a DM, and the type of game you want to run. Lay that groundwork early so your players can make informed choices and help you maintain the type of game you want to run. Your role is to keep the players and yourself interested and immersed in the world you've created, and to let their characters do awesome things. So, what does a power fantasy quote-unquote look like in an active game, do you think? It's interesting because even with what you found in the Dungeon Master's Guide, there's no explicit reference to the phrase power fantasy in D&D, but it encompasses the entirety of the game (laughs) and why it exists. (laughs) Truly, truly it does. Um, I think, you know, it looks like in an active game, like what the players choose to uh, have agency in. What are they focusing on and what do they... What about the world itself on a grand scale do they change? Yeah, no, I like that. I think that's a great definition. And I wish that there like was a definition for power fantasy because if you if you Google like define power fantasy or power fantasy, there's there is not a definition. Right. Nobody has one. Everybody just talks around the topic like, oh, power fantasies, oh, they're awful. Oh, and I'm like, are they? Because the thing that was was fascinating to me, what, what surprised me about it was that like to me, I had never really thought about a power fantasy as being a negative thing. Mm. And then I like opened my brain up to the rest of like the the internet and the world and how like, you know, other ways of conceiving of the words power fantasy. And I was like, oh, yeah, right. oh, it can be negative. But in my mind, like I would have never even thought of like, oh, yeah, when I'm playing D&D and like my power fantasy, I'm never like I want to, you know, do horrible mean things to people. Right. Like, it never occurred to me that people would want to do that. But but it does happen. And happens a lot and I think that's what detracts from a lot of the gameplay for some people you know where it's like people are scared of playing with people like that I think at least that's sort of what I see you know if you're scrolling down D&D TikTok which is a rabbit hole that you cannot claw your way out of I don't care how many crafting videos you like (laughs) but uh, when you're scrolling through, you know, D&D TikTok, you get so much of like, this is what a toxic player looks like. And it's people abusing power, ultimately. And you have so much power when you play D&D. You are like a hero of the realm or whatever. And you can physically hurt people. You can physically control people. There's a lot of stuff that you can do in this world. And it's technically against non-existent people. So understandably, people get scared that people will abuse that because they will. And then and, and they do. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But I'm with you there. For me, when I hear like D&D power fantasy, for me, it's like, oh, I can make actual change in this world for good. It makes me feel less, you know, hopeless about things like the climate crisis or (laughs) the death of capitalism. You know what I mean? Literally anything going on in the world today. (laughs) 
But no, like it, the world is exhausting to live in and being able to actually like go and be a hero in a really meaningful sense is so important. I agree. I think it's it's so therapeutic. And I know that that's like a very sort of loaded word to attach to a tabletop RPG. <laughs> but it's true for me. Like I, I do genuinely take a lot of solace and like comfort from being able to operate as someone who has agency and power in a world where like I have agency and power, which I don't have in my regular life. Oh no, day-to-day life in a non-fantasy realm is inherently boring and it's just, you know, you can find pockets of agency in your own life, but I think a lot of that comes from finding places to explore your agency and safe spots. Yes, I agree completely. And I I think to sort of echo back to, you know, defining like what does it quote unquote look like, it can look like negative things. That that might be like their release. You know, it's like I I want to have this power. I feel powerless and so I'm going to use my like pretend power to harm <laughs> imaginary people, which I'm not condoning that. But I do think that in in defining power fantasy, I do think that like it can go negative and it can go positive. And this is a game where violence Violence is built into the very mechanics. You cannot play D&D in a strictly peaceable fashion because if you're doing that, you're not playing D&D. You're ignoring an entire subset of the mechanics, which is combat. And I think there is something to be said about the outlet of violence in this game. And it's not necessarily bad. Of course, I don't condone violence in real life, but there's something so cathartic and therapeutic about, you know, punching a sandbag or, you know, (laughs) (laughs) having that physical outlet and having that mental outlet can also be really useful. But again, it's really everything always comes down to uh, playing with and being around the people you trust and setting out those boundaries at the beginning and just at the outset this is the kind of game that we're playing Mm -hmm. I think power fantasies become a problem when those contracts whether they're explicit or implicit get violated in some way yeah absolutely it's interesting to like talk about combat because it it reminds me of like the first game that I truly enjoyed DMing Uh, the first like two sessions that we played because I was just wickedly uncomfortable with running combat I felt so inadequate when it came to running combat encounters that I just kind of avoided them and then when it finally came time to be like, okay, I gotta, I gotta put some something in front of you guys that you very clearly need to fight. But that campaign was so uh, like diplomacy and people based that it felt weird and bad and wrong to like have you fight and kill humanoids. So I, I remember the first like couple of combat encounters, like big evil spiders that are definitely gonna eat you. <laughs> it's just like yeah. things that I knew a hundred percent. It was like it's okay if they kill this. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> I. It took a long time for me to get to a point with that where I was like comfortable with it but then also like you guys as players at that table if you were fighting a humanoid you didn't typically kill them you would almost always like non-lethal damage let's question them about this later and then often end up flipping them to your side and then letting them go to do tasks for you which like oh man (laughs) well that's the power fantasy that is but that's exactly the power fantasy it is exactly the power fantasy it's I am in control here I decide what happens I have this person's life in my hands and I'm gonna choose to exercise mercy Mm, delicious I love it it's so good yes and that's that's sort of the crux of this conversation sort of inspired this topic entirely because at least for me as a player my power fantasy the place where I get the most joy out of exerting my own agency as a player as a character at the table those fantasies are almost always me helping people 
And like, I think that says a lot about the world that we live in now, where we are so desperate to have the power to help people. And this is a theme that I find with a ton of my friends. I I assume it's the same for you, is it? (laughs) Oh, yeah, absolutely it is. Yeah. And like most of my friends that I play with, almost, I I would dare say all, are also in that boat of being like, yeah, we want to help people. And, you know, it doesn't matter if you're playing a chaotic neutral character even at that point, because at the end of the day, we're all (laughs) anti-capitalists. No, that's honestly, that was the next vein that I was going to go down is that like it's been interesting in the campaigns that I run to see how players will deconstruct the like very unhealthy, unlike egalitarian governments and social systems and things that like I have set up to like inherently cause conflict. They're like, no, 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 we don't like this. (laughs) Like we are going to come in and we are going to like systematically dismantle it. And I love that. Like absolutely do that. Never ever in my life have I been like, no, you're ruining my very complex government system that I set up. I'm like, no, tear it down. <laughs> Let it burn. <laughs> Let it burn. Exactly. Like, I set it up for you guys to knock it down. Like, I've had players fucking murder entire ass gods. <laughs> like, <laughs> go to the sky, kill God. Who cares? Like, it's great. I love it. So, like, how do we avoid negative power fantasies and or engaging with power fantasies in a negative way? Because I do think that there is some potential there, even if it's like, I am going to introduce fairness and, like, <laughs> remove systematic racism from this world. Like, potentially that could lead to something unhealthy. So I'm, I'm curious if you have any ideas on that. Yeah, well, I think about this, too, because, like, um, we just entered a campaign being level 20 characters. And I remember you talking about this where, like, when we were level 10 that you were like, you know, like, you guys are basically going to be gods at the end of this. Mm-hmm. And you can do whatever you want. And, like, there is that sort of inherent... Again, it's about the violence, the violence inherent in the system. (laughs) Help, help, I'm being repressed. Um, (laughs) All Monty Python references aside, we are in a world where we are physically powerful enough that we can intimidate people. Mm -hmm. And we're, at least the group of young women, non-binary folks that I play with, we're intelligent and well-versed enough in sociology, anthropology, et cetera, et cetera, and like pay attention (laughs) and read things that we know why these systems are bad and like want to dismantle them. But there is something really kind of scary about the idea that you can just sort of go in and bully people into doing the right thing because your methods do matter. I don't know that this directly answers your question, but there is that sort of built-in possible negative or abuse of power. Again, because of the way D&D is set up, your players have power. That is what they are literally designed to do on a mechanical and uh, storytelling level. They have power. How they choose to exercise it, that's up to them. But they will overbalance balance the rest of the game eventually if you keep going with them to level 20 they're gonna be gods oh 100 percent. it is about an exploration of the negatives of these sort of even positive power fantasies and it's a balance it really is it's all about venting and i think even this ultimate negative exploration of power has a positive impact because it made me sit back and reflect and see how i approached people in the real world and uh, what ways i exercised my own agency and without infringing upon the agency of others and being able to explore this in a place with fictional characters these are fictional characters this is a safe space obviously you can do real emotional hurt but you can't do real physical hurt to people in D&D and so exploring that that's safe yeah absolutely I think it's interesting too how real it feels like to be 
involved in like these worlds that are entirely fictional and entirely fabricated by like you and some of your friends how deeply deeply real they feel and how like deeply deeply emotionally attached you become to them and that's that's why like players who don't fit into like your ethos or who have a power fantasy that is you know the harm and abuse of other people can be so like genuinely emotionally damaging as a person at the tables because it's like I don't like this <laughs> like this hurts me inside to to sit here and deal with it and so I think that it's like it is a safe space to sort of like explore all of that and let all of that out but at the end of the day I think it's also an important learning space in that if you do have that sort of like desire to crush people under the sole of your foot like why and how can you deal with that <laughs> this is not the case and if you're someone that wants to just like make the world a better place it is a way to feel genuinely like you're doing that like mirror neurons are powerful man yeah they really are so I've talked about my power fantasy what's your power fantasy fantasy laurel <laughs> i think we share a lot of overlap genuinely it's why we play together it's why we play so much together it's it is my power fantasy genuinely is being able to make a meaningful difference in the world like being someone who has the charisma <laughs> or the strength or what have you to make decisions in a world that then lead to positive change is like more than I could ever ask for. Like I have had to make my peace with the fact that I am a speck upon this earth and that I as one person can't really do all of that much. And so like being able to like plumb all of that desire into a D&D character, it's like, yeah, I'm one person, but like watch me fucking go, baby. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna do what I want. I'm gonna kill that dragon. That's like, you know, ruining the entire country. Like I'll, I'll do what needs to be done and it's I love it it genuinely having power and being able to wield that power in a positive way is so so rewarding to me it really is yeah look we know we're not supposed to pick favorites but we did Okay, so Laurel, what is your favorite D&D race to play? <laughs> I don't know that, well, I can't say, hang on. <laughs> you can leave all this stumbling in because this is just my love of fear bulks coming through. <laughs> <laughs> I am obsessed with Herbolgs. I love them so much. Um, I have, like, I don't know that I can be like, oh, they're my favorite race to play, because I don't know that I necessarily, like, play them all that often, but my Fearbolg character is my favorite character that I've ever played and probably will ever play. I love them so much. Um, the thing about Fearbolgs is that they are just, like, they are the very definition, you know, stereotypically of, like, the gentle giant. It's just, like, I'm just here, and I'm just gonna vibe. <laughs> I'm just gonna, like, exist exist with nature and be this giant cow person <laughs> I love it so much I don't know what it is my my uh like user picture on discord has been a baby fear bulk, I think for like three years now <laughs> Something like that. I love them. I love them. I just, I think the vibes are immaculate. I think truly deep down in my heart of hearts, like the the elemental thing that I desire for myself is to be like earth fire. Like I want to be grounded fire. And I think that fear bulks have that. They've got this like little kick, this little spice, but they're so just like solid and earthy. 
Love them. What about you? Um, I came up with this question and I don't have a singular answer. You cheater. I am a cheater. I really am. But I came up with this. So take that. <laughs> it's my quiz. I'll cheat if I want. There's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> You're not wrong. I, I was, I'm torn between Asimar and Tiefling. And here's why. Ooh, the heaven and hell. <laughs> So what I love about Asimar is that their aesthetic is just so good. I am absolutely weak for, you know, the human but make it sexy. You know, (laughs) it's just like... Olivia, human but make it sexy, Laurel, giant cow person. (laughs) I, I don't know. There's just this like inherent bisexual vibe of the Asimar that I just love. Um, But, I mean, they really do have it all. They've got the resistance to a major uh, type of damage that's done by very high-dealing enemies, which is necrotic. And um, the different flavors of Asimar are so good as well. And if you get a good DM, uh, they let you slip between all of them. (laughs) Wink. So I have sampled all of them. Wink. I truly, truly, truly love the Asimar just as an aesthetic. But Tiefling are so much fun to play they just like for me something about the tiefling is just so expressive and freeing and just like again aesthetics horns you can't go wrong <laughs> like I love using the tail to like emote yeah you know yeah absolutely and I was gonna say lively like tieflings just strike me as very lively individuals yeah they really do but anyway those are my favorites <laughs> I love it and now I want to talk about Fearbulk some more <laughs> Children of abilities more overpowered than divine smite. It's Witch's Homebrew. Okay, uh, for homebrew today, um, I am going to introduce the idea of the truly critical, critical hit. Uh, this does not belong to me. This is an idea that um, a DM of mine ages ago had, I think, seen online. I'm sorry, I don't know who invented it. The the truly critical, critical hit is um, a home rule that changes the damage value for critical hit. Rather than rolling your damage dice and doubling the result or rolling double the number of dice, uh, this rule adds the full value of each die to your damage total. So if an attack does like one D8 plus five, you would roll that D8 as normal, add your plus five strength modifier, and then add eight for the critical hit. Um, if an attack does two D8 plus five, you would add 16, uh, so on and so forth. So uh, Olivia, do you like this adjustment? <laughs> um, Being a player at your table, absolutely I do. <laughs> um. <laughs> It really does make critical hits feel critical. I will say there is a slight disappointment for me in the form of I don't get to roll more dice. But that's a me problem. <laughs> that is a you problem. And that's also like, I feel like you don't have a single fucking leg to stand on when you roll like a million dice per hit anyways at level 20. Monk and your five attacks. Get out of my face. You don't roll enough dice. Monk plus ranger multi-class means many dice. But that's that's the thing. I think to, to speak to your point about like it it makes it count. I That's why I did it. Because there there is literally nothing more disappointing than rolling that nat 20 and like living that high of like, ah, oh, critical hit. Oh my God, I'm so excited and then like you roll two ones or you roll a one and then double it to two it's like because then it doesn't mean anything like it doesn't have the impact that a critical hit should have and this guarantees
guarantees that it will it'll do a lot of damage and like does it does it like bite me in the ass sometimes absolutely like <laughs> when your freaking barbarian comes in here and does like 114 damage on one attack it's kind of like oh no <laughs> but like i love it 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 makes me happy as a dm to see that kind of damage come out because it's rewarding for you guys as players it feels amazing it really does and it almost makes the dice the dice aren't irrelevant the dice are part of it because you can do a fuck ton of damage if you roll really well of course but there is that guarantee of i'm going to do my max damage at least once it's a beautiful thing and it just lets you it lets you know what your character can do this is what they're capable of you shine so bright like a diamond Okay, Olivia, what's your uh, your inspiration show and tell? Okay, so this week it was a little hard because uh, I didn't really play much this week, but with one very, very important exception, and that is we ended a campaign we have been playing for two years. And it is not the official end of the campaign, despite us thinking that it would be. Um, we're not done with the story yet, but... Um, it really, it felt momentous and fun and sad and uh, it was just, it was everything that you could hope for for an ending. It really, I think what really inspired me is it really does feel like closing a book too, you know? Like book one has like a conclusion to it, like a true, like nice little bow. Book two feels like there's so much more happening. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just blushing and beaming over here. This is my campaign, by the way. <laughs> This is your campaign, but like, I, I, I'm so excited for book three because book two is so good, if that makes sense. But that is what inspired me this week. I mean, like, we've been with these characters for two years. It's amazing. It really is. No, I love them dearly. They've grown so much. And I got to be level 20. So. <laughs> A rarity. <laughs> your inspiration has inspired me. That's the point. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, dear listener, for lending your ears. May the stories you tell be grand and humble in equal measure. May the characters you meet be brimming with adventure. And may the chances you take lead to some natural twenties. 